Other than that, you can always look in your bulletins to find out more about what's going on around here and also keep all of our ministries covered in prayer. Thank you so much, you guys, and happy Easter. Thank you, Vanessa. Excellent. Yeah, so the open view, for those of you who don't know, is just the idea that the future is partly comprised of possibilities. Possibilities are ontologically real and because uh, people are free. And uh, you wouldn't think that would be that controversial, but it kind of is. Uh, so uh, if you want to find out more about it, um, or if you're already on board with that and want to uh, hear from some of the heavy hitters in the open theism movement, uh, come and be part of this conference. It starts this Thursday night. I'll be speaking on Thursday night. And then others will be uh, taking all, all day Friday and then Sunday morning up till noon. It's going to be a great time. A lot of discussion and par- participation and stuff like that. He is risen! He is risen Amen! You remember, you guys are great. I tell you, this is a smart church. All right, we're, we're on board. It's so fun to have worship like that, isn't it? And thank you, thank you, the choir, uh, the sister who was doing the dancing, uh, horns, I... See, that's a slice of the kingdom. We had all these kids up here dancing around. It was just beautiful. I, it's just beautiful. Uh, sometimes I think we over-spiritualize uh, worship. Uh, people, you know, think that, you know, God's just all spirit, and so uh, you can't get too physical with it. But, see, this is Easter, and it's all about God's love for the physical. He rose with a body, folks. And uh, God created matter. He must like it. And he likes us to be invested with our bodies and, and to make noise and to dance. And all of that is so of God. Uh, you know, the church, somewhere along the line, yeah, we just got kind of platonic. And, and, and uh, God just thought it was all about the ethereal platonic realm and take the body out of it. But no, God loves your body. Use it. it it's, uh, it's good. Physicality and worship. All right, all right. Well, <clears throat> You know, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it changed everything in a stunningly beautiful way. It really did. It changed everything. Creation changed. Reality changed. And uh, when we can see the beautiful new reality that Jesus brought into being with his death and resurrection, uh, it transforms the way we view God, the way we view ourselves, the way we view others, the way we view all of creation. And it's, it's seeing that beauty that, that causes there to be in our hearts this uh, incredible love for God, ourselves, others, and creation. And that's what motivates us to live in a different kind of a way, a Jesus-looking way. How we live will depend on the degree of the depth of beauty that we see around us. But it takes a special kind of looking, a special kind of vision to see that beauty. It's a little bit like these magic eye uh, pictures. Have you seen some of these where you look at this uh, page and it just looks like boring wallpaper or something? But if you look not at the surface of the picture, but look through the picture and kind of relax your eye, look off, it, it, it takes, it's, it's an art form. You've got to kind of get used to it. It's a, you've got to train your eye to see this. But what will happen is if you look at it the right way, in this particular picture, a three-dimensional hummingbird will come out at you. And the first time I saw this, it just blew me away. It took me a long time to, I thought it was a gag at first. Uh, like, you know, I was the only one who couldn't see the, this stuff. But when I finally got it, it's so cool. It comes out. It doesn't work on a slide, I don't think. I, I, I have tried it before, and I could never get it to go. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here trying to figure it out. But there is a, there's, there's a hummingbird in there. <laughs> Trust me. On my authority, there's a hummingbird in there. And, 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 and so if you can look at it the right way, you behold that. Well, that's kind of, here's the thing. All around us is this ordinary, normal, physical world. And, and it's the world that we see with our physical eyes. 
But God tells us that if you look at that world in the right way, you're going to see a beautiful kingdom, a beautiful new creation rising out of it. you got to look at it with the eyes of faith, but it's there. Now, it can be frustrating at first because, you know, you look around and all you see is this physical world. And, and we're going to see here that what God says is real it's mind-boggling. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It feels too good to be true. And so it's, sometimes it feels like the gospel, if you really hear it right, it's unrealistic because it doesn't match the world that we see. But that's because we're not seeing the right way. If we can look at it with the eyes of faith, and this is what we're going to be doing here this morning, there is this incredible new creation all around us. In fact, you are part of it. And um, when we can see the beauty that is there, it will... It does something in our heart. It causes this love to just arise in our heart. And that's what motivates, motivates us to now live in a way that's consistent with that beauty. That no one else can see. So they think you're crazy. But you can see it. Other kingdom people can see it. And that is what the kingdom is, is all about. This passage that I'm going to be looking at here this, this morning is one that uh, it's been burning on my heart for, for several weeks now. I actually thought I was supposed to preach it during the Anabaptist series, but it never seemed to fit. It was kind of frustrating to me, but now I can see that it's because God wanted me to preach it this weekend, and it's been burning in me. It's just so beautiful. It's kind of a challenging passage. Uh, it's a little bit challenging because we, we're, we're going to have to dig a little bit to understand what Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, but we're not afraid of digging around here, right? We like theology. We're going to get into it, but it's also challenging because the, the vision of, of the new creation that it puts before us is so incredible that is simply hard to accept and it conflicts with the sort of safe and tame gospel that most of us have gotten it's kind of sanitized gospel and um, and that makes it uh, kind of difficult to accept but if we can't accept it we're going to see it changes everything uh, this message is all about seeing a crazy beauty that, that creates a crazy love in, us, love in us that leads us motivates us inspires us to live a life that looks crazy to the folks who don't see what we see. And so we're entitling this message, Crazy Love. It's all about the crazy love of Christ inside of us. And the passage I'm talking about is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through 17, though I'll include verse 7 because that sets up the theme of the uh, entire passage. So here's what Paul says. <clears throat> For we live by faith, not by sight. If we are out of our mind, crazy... As some say we are, well, then that's for God. But if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. <laughs> and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, has already come. The old has gone, has already gone. The new is here. It's already here. I love this. This is good. This is good. Pray with me here. Father, Abba Father, I bless you, God, for, I thank you for all the people in this auditorium and the joy that we're 
experiencing the spirit that's enveloping us, the resurrected life that is, that, that, that is the ocean that we're swimming in. I thank you that, for that, God. I pray, God, for everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through the podcast or television or any other means, I pray, God, that you open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to see the beauty of the new creation that you have brought into being. God, help us to embrace it in all of its crazy beauty, even though it conflicts with the safe and tame gospel that many of us have uh, been taught, even though it conflicts with our vision of a God who's stingy with his love, even though it conflicts with the kind of watered-down theology that many of us have been given. Help give us the boldness to see and embrace the full, radical, crazy-sounding beauty of the new creation that you brought into being. And then God created in us a love, the love of Christ, the love for Christ that motivates us to live in a totally different way. Send forth your resurrection power here and now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. So some people thought Paul was out of his mind, just nutso crazy. And the reason is because his life looked kind of not so crazy. This guy had was well-educated. He was a well-respected Jewish leader. He could have lived a life of uh, kind of renown and prestige and, and uh, uh, a life of ease. But instead, he meets the resurrected Jesus one day, surrenders his life to the resurrected Jesus one day, and he walks away from all of that, the good life. And now he spends the rest of his life traveling around the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel, and in the course of doing that, he's jailed a number of times. He's beaten a number of times, causes riots sometimes. His life is threatened by that. He's facing capital uh, punishment a couple of times. Um, he was shipwrecked once, almost drowned there. He lived a life serving others, proclaiming the good news, and suffering with and suffering for Christ. He could have had it so easy, but instead he chose this. Why would somebody do that? That's nuts. That's nuts. And so Paul explains why he looks crazy to folks. He says, for Christ's love compels us. What Paul's saying is that he is filled with this crazy love that leads him to live a life that looks crazy to normal people, living normal lives, looking at the world the normal way. Um, and this crazy life just consumes him. He uses this word, uh, sineco, which is translated, uh, we're compelled, sineco. It denotes a strong motivating force. Um, some even translate it controls. We're controlled by this love. It's a powerful love that he has within him, and it leads him to walk away from the good life and to spend his life serving others. That's, that's, that's the fuel of the kingdom right there. That's the gasoline that this engine runs on, the love of Christ in us, the love of Christ that we have for Christ and for other people as Christ dwells within us. Now, Paul then takes us a little deeper because he, he explains what it is that gives rise to this love that compels him to live this different kind of a life. He tells us what he sees. And here is where we're going to confront something that is so beautiful, it's hard to accept. It conflicts with our safe and tame uh, gospel that most of us have been given. A gospel of a, of a God who is rather stingy with his love. I want to ask you to suspend judgment. As I'm, I'm going through this, let go of any inclination you might have to prejudge what I'm saying and prejudge what Paul is saying, because what I'm going to say is just exactly what Paul says. But don't prejudge it as being too good to be true and dismiss it. See, the trouble is, is that we in this fallen state, living in this fallen world, um, we are all to some degree conditioned by this um, kind of a common sense standard of normality. In fact, 
some of us are addicted to this common sense standard of normality. And so we're conditioned to reject anything that doesn't fit into the nice grid of our common sense uh, normality. And so we tend to view the gospel and to view God and everything else through the grid of this common sense uh, uh, normality, which is why most people embrace uh, a vision of God and a vision of the gospel that is safe and tame and, and sanitized and watered down. And, and it's a mediocre God and a mediocre gospel, which inspires them to live a safe and tame and rather mediocre life for the kingdom. It's also why when they hear about the real God and the real gospel, they're, they're, they, they suspect that, that this is too good to be true, that it's an exaggeration. And maybe we're, we're dancing with heresy here. But see, the reason why Paul could live this extraordinary life is because he didn't have a safe and tame vision of God and a safe and tame vision of the gospel. He had a radical, crazy vision of God, a God of crazy love and a gospel that was crazy beautiful. And that motivated him to live a crazy looking life. And if we're ever going to live the crazy-looking life that Paul lived, we've got to see what he saw. Because the beauty of what you see will determine the beauty of how you live. And that means we've got to let go of our common sense uh, normality grid. Just let it go. The truth is that when you're dealing with the one true God, the one true gospel, well, if something seems too good to be true, that just is an indication that you're going in the right direction. Because as a matter of fact, however beautiful you see God, he's infinitely more beautiful than that. Oh, and however good the good news is, it's infinitely better than that. So if it feels too good to be true, be cool with that, because that means you're going in the right direction. It should feel that way. And the reality is that the good news of the Easter morning message, it's not just good news, folks. It is great news. It is fantastic news. It is the best news. It is the greatest, greatest news. It's the most fantastic, mind-boggling, beautiful, eye-popping news there ever was. It's, it's infinitely beyond anything you can imagine. So, so however good I say it, it's not going to be good enough. The most we can do is point in that direction. This is good news, super good news, but we've got to be willing to embrace it. So the question is, is do we dare to believe that God is as beautiful and the gospel is as good as it's presented uh, in the New Testament? And can we let go of the sanitized, safe stuff and dare to think a new thought and maybe see a new thing that we haven't seen before? So here's the reality. Here's the, here, I'm going to put out now the reality of what happened when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Let's, let's look at it again. Paul says this. <clears throat> because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. What is up with that? If all died, that means you died. You're dead. <laughs> what does that mean? And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How could they live for themselves? They're dead. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Mm. One died for all. And that one, of course, is Jesus. Then all died. All died. Let's receive this. Paul understands that Jesus stood in the place of everyone when he died. So that what happened to him happened to everyone when he died. If one died, then, if one died for all, then all have died. It's, it's, uh, his death encompasses everybody. Now, I imagine that right now some folks in the auditorium or maybe listening through podcasts are getting a little bit nervous. 
I imagine that some of my detractors out there, as if they're listening to this podcast, I don't know why they would, but if they are, they're getting ready to pounce. Oh, another heresy avoid. <laughs> because it, it can sound, if you take this passage in isolation, like Paul is, is saying that everyone is guaranteed salvation. It can sound like that. That's a view that's called universalism. It's a rather hot topic today. Um, and while I'm not a universalist, I empathize with that view on the basis of passages like this. And there's a number of others that we're going to see here in a little bit. It can sound like that. But see, in my opinion, when Paul talks like this, and he does a number of times in the New Testament, uh, he's speaking from God's perspective about what God has done to bring everybody into a relationship with him. But see, a, a loving relationship requires reciprocity. It requires two to be in on this. If you've got a marriage and one of the spouses is really, totally, incredibly in love with the other, but the other has got a cold heart towards that spouse, well, you don't have a loving relationship. It takes two. And since it's a loving relationship, God can't coerce people into it. So what I think Paul is saying here is that when Christ died and rose again, it changed everyone's status. God changed the status of everyone because everyone was included in what Jesus did. What Jesus did, he did for everyone. What happened to him happened to everyone. And so from God's side, there is no longer anything to be taken care of to reconcile people to himself. It's done. From God's side, every barrier has been removed. From God's side... Every conflict, all rebellion, all bondage, everything that could separate us from him has been obliterated. It's gone from God's side. And so from God's side, it's all cool. From God's side, because of what Jesus did when he died and rose again, uh, we're reconciled. There's nothing there. That's what's real. That's the reality. But people can choose to reject that if they want. He won't coerce anyone to accept it. People can live in, in contradiction to reality. We do it all the time, actually. And as we all know, when you live in contradiction to reality, if you persist in that, sooner or later you're going to crash up against reality. You versus reality, reality will always win, and it can hurt. You crash up against reality. Like a person who thinks the law of gravity doesn't apply to him when he jumps off a cliff. He will learn in about six seconds that it does apply to him. And that is what's called the judgment of God when you crash up against reality. It's simply the... the, the the tragic consequences of living in contradiction to reality. And you're free to, to live that way if you want. But see, the fact that people reject the truth doesn't change the truth. And the fact that people can bring ugliness on themselves by rejecting the beauty of this truth doesn't change the beauty of the truth. And it's that beautiful truth that we need to see if we're going to have well up within us the kind of compulsive love that Paul had. And if we're going to live the kind of radical Christ-like love life, that life that looks crazy to the normal people in the normal world, if we're going to live that way, we've got to see what Paul saw. Because as I said, the beauty of our life will depend on the beauty of what we see. We've got to grasp this magnificent, beautiful reality that was brought into being when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Here's the Easter reality, folks. From God's perspective, and God's perspective is always the true perspective, everyone was included in Christ's death and resurrection. It's a magnificent truth that's not just found in this one passage. It's, it pops up here and there throughout the New Testament. For example, Paul says in Romans 5, Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. 
And 1 Corinthians 15, this is so beautiful. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now Adam represents humanity estranged from God, at war with God. Humanity in bondage to Satan. And so what the passage is saying, <clears throat> saying is that God took everyone who was in Adam and put them in Christ. Is that not what the passage says? Everyone who was in Adam is put into Christ. The set of all those who are in Adam is identical to the set of all those who are in Christ. That's what God has done. Uh, he, that's the reality of, of, of our situation. Everybody. And so the magnificent truth, the beautiful, the beautiful reality that you can't see with the natural eye, but if you look right with the eyes of faith, it pops out at you. The beautiful truth is that Jesus bore everyone's sin on the cross. And Jesus paid the consequences of everyone's sin on the cross. That's what's called the judgment of God. And, and what's, the truth is that uh, Jesus uh, put to death the old creation for everybody, and Jesus brought into being a new creation for everybody. The old is all aspects of the world that conflict with God's character. Uh, the old is humanity as we were in Adam, and the new is everything that reflects the glory of God. The new is humanity in, 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 in Christ. And so God took, for everybody, took every person and took them out of Adam and put them into Christ and killed the old creation and brought about a new creation. And that applies to every single person who has ever existed. Amen. Do not let, do not let your common sense normality grid begin to say, no, come on, he's exaggerating. No, no, no. Is it consistent with the text or not? That's the only relevant question. And it is. I'm telling you, it is. And so just receive it. Receive it. Don't, don't let the watered down, tame, sanitized, safe gospel, you know, just squish it. No, receive it in all of its beauty. Everything about everyone that was part of the old creation that is at odds with God, it has been put to death. If one died for all, then all have died. Behold, the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. Every sin of every person has been put to death on the cross. Praise God. All addiction, all bondage, all hatred, all violence has been put to death on the cross 2,000 years ago. All unfaithfulness, perversion, immorality has been put to death on the cross 2,000 years ago. All spite, bitterness, pettiness, envy, jealousy, pride has been put to death on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lying, deceit, judgmentalism, racism, sexism has been put to death 2,000 years ago on the cross. All lusting for power, all lusting for wealth, all apathy to the, to the poor, and every other possible sin has been put to death 2,000 years ago on the cross because the old creation is gone. It's gone, gone, gone. It's destroyed, demolished, abolished, annihilated, decimated, eliminated, eradicated, exterminated, obliterated, terminated, extinguished, snuffed out, wiped out, stamped out, rendered obsolete, null, and void. It is gone. Done. Abolished. Yes. Now that sounds crazy. I'm out of my mind. And while that's true, it's not with regard to this particular point. Of course, it sounds crazy. You look at the world and you say, it looks to me like sin is alive and well on planet Earth. You know, uh, it, this sounds crazy. But that's because we're, we're not looking at the world the right way. We're looking at boring wallpaper instead of seeing through the picture to see what's hidden underneath it. I'll talk about that in a second. But it also sounds crazy because it seems too good to be true. It conflicts with our safe and tame gospel that we were taught. The stingy God who, first we got to do everything before he says, okay, now you're mine. No, this is a God who puts it all up front. 
Uh, and if it sounds too good to be true, well, good, because that means you're heading in the right direction. But it's infinitely better than that, so keep trying. In fact, the good news gets better because, as most of us know, Good Friday was, well, a couple days later, it gave way to Easter morning. And now things really good, good. Because on Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead and made all things new. Jesus, and that applies to everybody. When Jesus came out, the good news of Easter morning, that first Easter morning, is that when Jesus came out of the tomb, he came out of the tomb for everybody. When Jesus conquered sin, death, the devil, and the grave, he did it for everybody. Uh, the new life that Jesus brings, brings reconciliation for everybody. And Jesus has ushered in God's resurrection life for everybody. If one died for all and therefore all died, then when one was raised, therefore all have been raised. So the old creation is gone for everybody and the new creation has come for everybody. And to our normal grid, common sense grid of normality, that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, on God's authority, it is, it is beautifully crazy true, praise God. This is what God has created, brought into being. And you're free to reject that if you want and live in contradiction to that. But don't do that. No. God has put you in Adam, and he's, he says, stay there now, stay there. Don't put yourself out of it. I get this picture of this God who just, out of a ferocious love, uh, dives into the hellhole of our life and the hellhole that we've made of this planet, and he squishes all of humanity into his chest. And he says, you're coming with me. And, he, and, and he, so he squishes us into his chest as he goes to the cross. He says, you're coming with me. And as he's buried into the tomb, he says, you're coming with me. And when he comes up out of the tomb, he says, you are coming with me. This is a God whose ferocious love gives a bear hug around everybody. And what happens to him happens to all. That is, that's the default. That is the default, praise God. And what we need to know is that what is true of everybody is true of you. Because God's love is always individual. God doesn't love humanity in general. He loves every individual that comprises humanity. So all that I've just said applies to you. You need to know that the cross and the resurrection reveals a God who has all of your life been pursuing you with the desperation of a mother who's searching for her kidnapped child because you are have, have in fact been God's kidnapped child. The cross and the resurrection reveal a God who has done, like a desperate mother, has done everything possible to remove everything that could possibly separate you from him. He's done it all. This is a God who has claimed you and forgiven you and removed every obstacle before you turn to him. He doesn't wait for you to turn and wait for you to, to ask for it. No, he, he takes care of it all 2,000 years ago. Uh, the old creation is gone. The new has come. And that applies to you individually. You, he claims you as his own. You're mine. And, and he, he, he claims you to be a new creation. And he claims you to be reconciled. He's done all of that. 2,000 years ago on the cross, the one thing he could not do is take care of your will. That you have to do here and now. And the Holy Spirit is here uh, pulling you, luring you, persuading you, but he will not coerce you. So the question is, will you accept the reality that you have already been accepted? Will you embrace the reality that you have already been embraced? Will you... Accept the reality that he has placed you in Christ Jesus and therefore will you surrender to this reality and commit to living consistent with this reality. That, folks, is salvation. That is the kingdom. And uh, uh, it is what it's all about. So, so the, everything has changed. Everything has, in fact, changed. And this is, Paul sees this and that's what creates in him this love of Christ that compels him to live this radical, beautiful, crazy-looking life. So what is it that prevents us from seeing this? 
What is it that why, why can't we see this all the time? And Paul addresses that here in this passage. Listen to this. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Okay, listen to this. We walk by faith. Faith in the Bible isn't just about believing certain true propositions. Faith in the Bible is about trusting the character of God, and therefore it's trusting that what God says is true is in fact true. And so faith is trusting that God's perspective on reality is the true perspective, and, and so faith is a commitment to look at the world from God's perspective. Knowing what is true, now we're going to look at the world through that lens. The faith way of looking at the world with the eyes of faith contrasts it's the opposite of the worldly point of view. Paul uses this word, sarks. It's translated worldly in the TNIV. Sarks, it literally just means flesh. And what it's getting at is this. The flesh, to look at the world in a flesh kind of way is to look at it just seeing the here and now, the physical here and now. It's, it's looking at the wallpaper and not even knowing that there's a hummingbird hidden inside. The flesh way of looking at the world is you look at the world as though the spiritual realm was not real, as though God didn't exist, as though Christ was not Lord. You look at the world, everybody in the world, you look at yourself as though uh, you were not squished into the chest of Jesus when he went to the cross, went down in the grave, and came up out of the tomb. It's the carnal way of looking at the world, which happens to be the normal way of looking at the world. Paul used to look at everyone, including Christ, that way. Christ was just a guy, criminal, dying on a cross. That happens all the time. And people are just people. But then, after meeting Jesus, he got the revelation. He became convinced that if one died, therefore all have died. And so now Paul looks at the world, knowing that everything he sees that conflicts with the character of God has already been taken care of. It's done. And so he looks at everybody in the world in the light of what Christ has done for them. These are people who have been squished into the chest of Jesus as he went to the cross, down in the grave, came out of the tomb. It changes everything. And as he sees the world that way, it causes this love to well up in his heart, which motivates him to live a radically different kind of life. And Paul encourages all of us to look at the world this way. And so he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. It's worded oddly in the Greek. In the Greek, he just says, if anyone was in Christ... New creation. It's very strange. But it has the connotation of, look, new creation. And it can mean, if anyone's in Christ, look, they are a new creation. Here's proof. There's a new creation. Or it can mean, if anyone's in Christ, look, there's a new creation. See, if anyone's in Christ, and it can in fact mean both, and I think it does mean both. Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, look with the eyes of faith, knowing what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and you will see that the old is gone and that all things are new. Paul is instructing us to see everything and everyone as they are in Christ. And if you practice this consistently, you'll find, at least at times, the beauty of a new creation pops out at you. Uh, and, and you see something that the natural eye cannot see. If you look at the world consistently this way, knowing that everybody you see, friend or foe, uh, has been claimed by God, and that the old is dead, and a new creation has come, it just does something. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's a joyful way of looking at the world. Um, we're conditioned to look at the world like wallpaper. We're conditioned to look at it from, from the boring point of view, just seeing the surface. 
In fact, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're conditioned to look at the external uh, of, of the world and to judge it. We're always judging. Unless we're, being, unless we're intentionally being disciples of our brain and collapsing this, we are addicted to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and so we approve and disapprove of everything we see. We're always evaluating. And every one of those evaluations blocks the flow of God's love into us and through us. Because judgment and love are the absolute opposites. But when we can look at the world in light of what Jesus did on the cross and resurrection, then it collapses our judgments. Whatever we see that is inconsistent with the character of God, well, we know it's already been killed 2,000 years ago, so it's not even worth noticing. Who cares? Well, all that matters is that this is a person who is infinitely loved by God, who has unsurpassable worth. This is a person who was squished into the chest of Jesus when he came up out of the tomb. This is a person who we can be optimistic for. This is that, that tame and Sante's gospel it taught us to look at the world in a negative way, pessimistically, with the default setting on hell. No, but see, we got to look at the world in light of what Christ has done. And, and God's got a bear hug around everybody. And yeah, people can put themselves out if they want. All right? They have the free will to do that. But the default is on the bear hug of being in Christ. It used to be in Adam, but now it's in Christ, praise God. And so you can look at the world now with this sense of optimism. Every person's been claimed. And they're so loved by God that, that what happens to them, uh, well, Christ takes it as happening to himself. Just like what happened to Christ happened to them. Well, now Christ so loves them that what happens to them, he identifies with having with himself. And, and so you see Jesus all around you, the new creation all around you. It pops out at you like a magic eye. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but when it happens, it's beautiful. You see the worth and the beauty and the value of every person around you. It's fantastic. You get to love them. You get just to love them. And, and as we see that, see, it creates love. You see the value. The, all around you there are kings and queens of the kingdom. And it creates this love for people. And that then changes your behavior, the way you think about them and speak about them and speak to them and interact with them. And, and if you're wearing those, those goggles as you go through life, you'll see opportunities to love and serve and sacrifice for people all the time. And that is how the kingdom spread. Now you're going to start living a life that looks a little bit peculiar to the normal people in the world. And that's a good thing because we're not supposed to be normal. All right. Hey, I'm going to... Let's chunk this down. I got 10 minutes. Let's chunk this down. Uh, uh, watch this. This will give us a concrete example of what I'm talking about. This is a, a, a movie clip from the movie uh, Mother Teresa. Watch this.
fantastic I thirst Jesus said on the cross now Mother Teresa sees the thirsty Christ and the thirst of this person homeless person laying on the ground and then she looks around she sees that in everybody she saw Christ in everybody she said this at one point I see Jesus in every human being I say to myself this is hungry Jesus I must feed him this is sick Jesus this is one, this one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And see, this isn't some new age pantheism we're talking about here, like God is everything. And it's not some subtle universalism as though it was about everyone guaranteed to accept what Christ has done for them. It's not about that. It's about God's love on the cross that encompasses everybody. And that love is so profound, it identifies with, with, with the people for whom he died, to the point that what happens to them happens to him. And that's really what the cross reveals. Uh, that love that, that has united us with him, whether we accept it or not. God's got a bear hug, squishing everybody into himself. So the experiences are, are reciprocal. This is what profound love does sometimes. You experience what your beloved is going through. It explains why I've been having hot flashes ever since Shelley's been started going through menopause. Because I'm a loving, I'm that loving. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going through menopause, they call it. It's true, though. I get these hot flashes. It's crazy. It's because I love you so much, honey. <laughs> Solidarity. <laughs> and I guarantee you right now, some wife just bumped her husband and says, how come you don't sweat? <laughs> yeah, there's other criteria. But look, at this is what's going on here. So when God's beloved child is hungry, Jesus experiences hunger. When God's beloved child is thirsty... Jesus experiences thirst. When he's, God's beloved child is sick, Jesus experiences this sickness. Uh, there's, there's an identification that goes on there. That's what the cross is all about. What happens to him happens to all, so that what happens to all happens to him. Uh, it, it's why on Matthew 25, on the judgment day, Jesus says to the sheep that are coming into the kingdom, when I was naked, you, this is how we, they revealed that he had, they had a kingdom heart. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was out on the street, you welcomed me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. What you did to the least of these, you did to me. The worldly point of view would never see that. The worldly point of view doesn't see Jesus in people. You just see the beggar's the beggar, the homeless person's the homeless person, the drug addict's the drug addict, the, the, the pedophile's the pedophile, the, you know, whatever, whatever. But if you look at it through the eyes of faith, Whatever gunk you see on the surface, it's taken care of 2,000 years ago, so you can just dismiss it, and you look past it, and now you see at the heart of this person uh, a love that, that is so strong that Jesus himself is there. Uh, this is what is to motivate us in the kingdom. So we here at Wilderness Church, we you know, get asked sometimes, have been just recently, why, well, what is it that motivates you to have this kind of crazy love, uh, this, this this, this crazy concern and passion about serving the poor. What is it? You go crazy trying to uh, join hands with all these other ministries to bring them here so that we can partner together to serve the poor. 
Why, why even go crazy trying to get a job training uh, program here at the church and have a daycare for low-income uh, families and families with kids with special needs or, or to have a ministry that administers to uh, kids with, with mental disabilities? Or why are you so crazy about turning the church into a homeless shelter uh, in, in the evenings? And why are you going so nuts? Every other week, it seems, one person said to me. But every other week, we got a ministry up here uh, that's about serving the poor and, and uh, folks going to Mexico or Haiti or Cambodia or Rwanda, and you ask us to give money to them, even though the church itself is struggling financially, what would lead you to do such a crazy thing? And the answer, the answer is, it's not because there's a rule that says we're supposed to, or that we're trying to get points with God, or that we feel guilty. The answer is that we see what is real in these people. We see that we are dealing here with with kings and queens of the kingdom. We are dealing with people of unsurpassable worth. It's an honor to serve them. It's an honor, and in fact... We're dealing with people that are so loved by Jesus Christ that what we do to them, we do to Jesus. And it's an honor to serve Jesus. And the new creation has come. And so we want to do everything we can to get the environment and situation of people to match up with the, with the king that they are and the queen that they are. Uh, in this new creation, Jesus should not be going without food. So we want to sacrifice to give Jesus food. One person uh, sacrificed getting a new car because the Jesus they knew in this person did not have any transportation. Or another sacrificed getting a new coat because Jesus was cold in the winter and didn't have any coat at all. Why should I get a new coat when Jesus doesn't have any? Uh, it sac- causes some to sacrifice an evening to spend it here uh, with some folks at the shelter here because Jesus is in a tough situation and is, is lonely and scared and could really use uh, a friend for a night. Now see, it's what you see. The beauty of what you see determines what go, the beauty of what goes on in your heart, which then fuels the beauty of your life. That's what the kingdom is about. We're to apply that to all people at all times, in all situations. No ifs, ands, or buts, no exceptions. Uh, look with the eyes of faith, and you'll see the beauty of that new creation that Jesus has created by dying and rising from the dead. And finally, I'll just say this. If it's true of everyone, then it's true of you. It's true of ourselves. And it's at least as important that we see this with ourselves as it is that we see with others. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Are you looking at yourself from a worldly point of view or from a kingdom point of view with the eyes of faith? If you're looking from a worldly point of view, well, then you'll see uh, you'll see yourself through the grid of the false self that you inherited from this fallen world growing up, from the media and television, from from uh, what things were done to you and things that were said to you, and that that will define you. That's what you'll see. But if you look with the eyes of faith, can you look with the eyes of faith? And can you trust that what God says is true regardless of what you see? And see, if you can, it feels crazy, but the old is gone, the new has come, and so the old about you, everything that's old about you is gone, and the new creation has come. And that doesn't feel right, because you still struggle with this bondage, and yet the only way you'll begin to get free of that is if you affirm with every ounce of your being that God has more authority than your brain or your eyesight. And you begin to say, you begin to know, begin to look this way, that that, that old habit of yours died 2,000 years ago. That attitude died 2,000 years ago. That's not the real you. That pornography is not the real you. It died 2,000 years ago. That, that, that pettiness and that jealousy and that need to be noticed died 2,000 years ago. That tendency to always want to be on top and to grab as much power as you can and to control people, that died 2,000 years ago. That obsessive need that you have to try to earn money and impress people, it died 2,000 years ago. That's not the true you. The true you, 
The true you on God's authority, I'm telling you, the true you is the you that came out of the tomb with Jesus 2,000 years ago. The true you is the you that knows that, 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 that you're not that worrying, anxious person. No, you've got a peace that passes understanding. The true you knows that you can do all things through Christ uh, uh, within you. you. The true you knows that God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. The true you knows that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The true you knows that you're a child of God, that you're loved by God, that you're a king and queen, praise God. The true you knows that there's nothing that has authority over your power over you because you stand in Christ and Christ stands above all. That's the true you. That's the new creation you. Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you affirm it? Can you embrace it? However contradictory it feels, embrace it. And if it feels too good to be true, ah, you're finally starting to get it. And as you affirm that, See, that's what, that, now you begin to feel different towards yourself. You can begin to love, the love of Christ will compel you to begin to love and celebrate the unique you that God created you to be and the unique new kingdom you that God saved you to be when he came out of the tomb. And that, that will change the way that you uh, treat yourself and look at yourself. The old is gone, the new has come. And the best thing you can do for the kingdom and for the poor and for loved ones and for enemies Everyone else, the best thing you can do is to be that. Be the you, the true you. Growing in that direction by affirming that what God says is true. Look with the eyes of faith. Praise God. He is risen! That changes everything. That changes everything. That changes everything. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let's live it. Stay awake everywhere you go. Don't forget. If we're not careful, we will default into the worldly point of view. And we'll just see wallpaper. No, stay awake and look with the eyes of faith. And affirm that everything old we see is gone and the new has come. And love it and serve them because you're serving Jesus in the process. I'm going to close with a little benediction. And as I do, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And uh, if you have any need this morning that could uh, use some prayer, please take advantage of this. Come up here and pray with these folks. Uh, don't carry that burden out uh, with you alone. Can we stand? And uh, as we leave here, let us do it as a people who, for whom the, the good news of Easter isn't just a story, it's a reality that we live in. Can we leave here as a people committed to look at the world no longer from a worldly point of view, but with the eyes of faith? Can we be a people who announce and live out the new creation in Christ Jesus, committed to seeing Jesus in every person and to loving Jesus and to embracing Jesus and helping Jesus whenever we can, however we see it, in the power of God, in the resurrection grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, He is risen! He is risen Go out and live it in Jesus' name. Love you.